everybody, I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my books, my preaching, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com. Everybody, welcome to This Good Word. I am so excited to have Charles Dean and Steph Spencer here to talk about the Enneagram. So, hello, Charles. Hello, Steph. Hello. Hi. Uh, Charles is the lead pastor of Imago Dei Church in Peoria, Illinois. I've preached there a couple times, and uh, Charles and I went through a thing called the Transforming Center in Chicago. That's where we met, and uh, I think when we met, Charlie, you later told me that you said I looked like one sad dude, (laughs) (laughs) and I was, and even then- You were haggard. I was haggard. I was dangerously tired, as Ruth Haley Barton might say. Uh, but we knew the Enneagram then, and we both identified as threes. And we're t- we'll talk about the Enneagram and what yeah. it is, but we both identified at that point as threes. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to talk Enneagram. And Steph Spencer, I have known for about four years. Steph is the executive director of 40 Orchards, which brings in uh, Rabbi Allen, who this good word listeners love. Uh, uh, his podcasts are always one of the favorites. But we bring him into Minneapolis about four time, four or five times a year now. And uh, Steph's been a pastor for a number of years, preaches at my church uh, whenever I can get her to do it. And so uh, we're going to have a, a, a rollicking, fun conversation about the Enneagram. So let's dive right in. You guys want to say anything before we dive in? Nope. Nope. All right. <laughs> Go ahead. So, uh, first of all, uh, besides it being a satanic thing, what is, <laughs> Yeah, I want to hear both of you give your definition, your working definition of what the Enneagram is. Go Steph, ahead. you go first. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, who goes first? Um, well, literally, it means nine points, which is helpful to know why it has that name. Um, the way I describe the concept of it is the idea that we are all born with really good gifts. Um, Tove, which has been a previous episode of this, and um, and they're good things that we're meant to bring to the world, except that inevitably life happens. That people disappoint us, we fail, someone else fails us, and we look for ways to protect ourselves, to prove ourselves, to fight, whatever it might be based on those hurts. And so what happens is we look inside our toolbox to see what tools do I have that can do that for me, that can protect me, that can prove something. And so um, Enneagram is defining our good sides and our shadow sides at the same time, because often the very best things about us are also the things that are the most distorted because they're the things we've been using to fight or prove or protect in some way throughout our life. So it's yeah. this it's this thing that is both, both strength and shadow. Mm-hmm. And we use it to get to know, well, we, and, and so the Enneagram helps us identify uh, the ways in which we interact with the world based on our pain, based on our strengths, etc. Right. It's meant to help us uh, get in touch with the ways that we're, that we have distorted things so that we can get back to our truer, more whole self. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Charles, what would you, how would you define it? I think that's great. I, the, what I would add to that, probably the language that we use here in our church, at least, is the language of it's the ways we uniquely reflect the image of God. So, mm-hmm. so nine reflections of the image of God, nine facets of the image of God that we all have the opportunity to reflect. And then, I, yeah, I like everything you said about this, the, the distortion then as well. 
And Charlie, you have just started a business called, I think it's called Strength and Shadow. Yeah. yeah. So we're, and I'll kind of flip back and forth as we're talking because I, we use it in our church a lot as a formation tool, but then it's really easy to just kind of flip the switch and take this into um, businesses. And so working with, uh, you know, we're starting to work with businesses and such, and you can use the same language. I don't use image of God language then, but um, it's really easy to do that. So we like the language of strength and shadow a lot. I mean, in some spiritual writings, you get the language of true self, false self, which I think is the same, the same thing, but strength and shadow is something that I think people really grab onto. Love it. And so the Enneagram, uh, nine points, as Steph said. And so if you picture it, it's like a circle with nine, yeah. nine pieces of pie or pieces of pizza. Yeah. And it's, there's so Enneagram type one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, let's go through. A, yeah. A, so later we'll go through a much longer uh, explanation of each. But I, I would like, Steph, can you talk about. Uh, one through nine and their names. Mm -hmm. And then Char Charles, would you talk about the triads? Yeah. So sure. Steph, you go first. Um, do you want me to just do names or like a quick, quick, quick description? Yep. Um, well, one place I like to start too is that it starts with numbers because as soon as we start adding names to things, baggage comes yeah. with the words. Right, for sure. So yeah. I want to be this, I don't want to be that starts to come <laughs> right. as soon as we start to describe it. So, but who cares well, whether you're you a particular number? And don't you feel like as soon as you start getting to labels, like then it just, they, they all feel pejorative or they feel like, like I've struggled a lot with titles for the types mm -hmm. because as soon as, as soon as you say, like, for example, the five is the wise person. I want to argue with that. Like uh -huh. there's wisdom everywhere. Why are we just like crowning this one number as the wise? you know, so I, I, I hear what you're saying. I love that. Yeah. Um, so then, um, so start with the number and know, and then part of the value of this as a tool, I think, is that every type has their gifts and every type has their shadow side. So to own that there's no shame in whatever our number is, as you start to hear words and receive words, it is what it is and it's naming an, in a neutral way. And don't most people say, really, you're probably going to be one number? Yes. Okay. But it can take yes. a while to dig through the layers of the onion to figure out what number you are. Got it. There's um, lots yeah. of nuance, lots of, but, right. but as you hear this, I think what I hear people a lot of times say, well, I think I'm probably like a seven, a four, and a little bit of nine. And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, you probably right. do move around, <laughs> but essentially you're, you're going to move from one basic number. Yeah. The, well, the guy who did both our trainings, Jerome Wigner, is um, he talks about Enneagram as the lens through which you view the world. Got it. Yeah. And so I think that's helpful in that circumstance to say, yep, yeah. we might hold all these, but what's your primary lens? What's, how, what's your driving force? Yeah. How are you seeing things? I like that, too, because that's less identifying, right? right. I am the wise person and more this is the lens. So, OK, so Steph, walk um, us through the nine. Uh, so type one, sometimes called the reformer, sometimes called the idealist. Um, it's somebody born with the ability to see the way that, that things could be. And that ends up devolving into a feeling of the way that things should be and having that weight upon one's shoulders and also often devolves into perfectionism because that's the one what thing I can control when I'm trying to make things the way they could or should be. But at their best, they've got a great sense of the possibilities of the world and, and the serenity of holding a process. Um, typed, how's that for length of description? That's great. That and actually, long? I want to switch. I want to go back and forth, and then you guys both can describe okay. the triads. I think that'd be more fun okay. since this is rollicking and from the hip. Yeah. Um, so that was great. So maybe uh, like Richard Rohr is a one. Yep. Uh, any other people that you guys could think about that people would know that, that, that are famous ones? Any presidents that are ones? 
I'm so bad at that game. <laughs> well, and it sort of breaks an Enneagram rule. So it works with Richard yeah. Rohr because he's typed himself. Okay. But it's really important for people yeah. to type themselves because it's some external it. behavior can come from different yeah. motivators. And so sometimes That's people huge. look like a type, but yeah. it really depends why. Like someone might be a rule like, follower, but there's like a f- probably even like four or five of the different types might tend to rule follow for different reasons. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. That's really helpful. And I think that's a huge, can I, can we say that before we go too deep into this is I, I feel like there's a parlor game aspect to Enneagram right now. Like it's really popular in some places and there's this parlor game thing where let me find out my number, let me find out your number and then move on. And I think that, um, I've tried to develop the discipline of like when somebody says to me, you know, like, is this person that number of, of really just playing a lot of ignorance and even to the person, like, it's not my job to tell you your number. You know, I'll help. I'll ask some questions and help you arrive maybe somewhere. But there's, I, I, I love what you just said. Like that to me, like be really careful, you know, because people do the same things for very different reasons sometimes. Yes, that's so. good. All right, Charles, dive right, into two. Get back to it. Type two. No, yeah. so good. I love how you guys are going back and forth. So two is almost always called the helper. I don't even know what the other words that get thrown at the helper. Mm-hmm. So, um. The twos, I um, see, I do everything in reference to the triad. So they're in the heart triad, which maybe we'll spend more time with, but they're always trying to answer a question that is basically, will you like me? And they answer that by helping you. And so twos are the people, I think of the twos in my church, and they're people that just, whatever you need, they're the people that bring you treats spontaneously. They're the first people to sign up for any project you have. Um, where that devolves is because they're playing this game of, will you like me? They're keeping score. And so... The, the twos that I know, it's, it's a really funny thing because when you start talking, like you think of twos as like just the nicest people because they're always helpful and you start talking to a two about their journey, their shadow journey, and they start saying like, oh yeah, I'm always keeping score. Like I've done this, this, and this for you. What have you done for me now? Mm-hmm. And so that's a brief, brief mm-hmm. sketch of a two. Got it, got it. And Steph, you used to think you were a two. I used to think I was a two. Uh, because I used, I wanted to be in the heart center and it took me a while to realize I'm in the head center. Um, So So maybe we shouldn't talk about it. We'll get back into the triads, but let's quickly go through the triad. Um, uh, the, 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 the triads, the head, heart and gut. Yep. So two threes and fours are in the heart triad. I say it in the way that they're always asking the question, will you like me? And they have the, they each have a different way of answering that question and we can Mm -hmm. get to that as we get to the types. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then five, six, seven. Go. I'd like, let's keep Charlie describing the triads. Okay. <laughs> so the five, six, seven are in the, in the head space or the thinking triad. And the question I always perceive those people as asking is how will I deal with my anxiety? They all have anxiety there and they're all dealing with it in different ways. And we'll hit those when we come back. And then the eight, nine, and one, we call the gut space and, or the instinctual space. And they're wrestling with how do I deal with my environment? And again, they each have an answer to that question. How do I deal with my environment? And I like to tell people, like even as introducing people to Enneagram, like, and I hope eventually we'll get to Enneagram in marriage, even understanding that when we, when we talk across triads, it's like we're playing a different game every day. Mm-hmm. Like I spend my life, and I think you too, Steve, yeah. I spend my life asking all the time, do you like me? Do you yep. like me? Do you yep. like me? And that is my obsession walking into any room, any space, anything I do. I really do like you. And it you. was a, uh, just I by like the way, you. I like you a lot. I like you too. Um, 
But it was amazing to me as I started talking to my wife, who's a six and she's in the head triad, she's not asking that question. Like that's not even like, that's not even something that's really going on in her very often. And I find that incredible. Like I thought everybody was playing this will you like me game all the time. And so that's a huge, to me, that triad stuff is really big in understanding them and understanding then the types as responses to those questions. Okay, repeat really quick. Uh, Charles, the, the the questions that each triad is asking, the game that each triad is playing. Will you like me? That's the heart triad. Heart. Two, twos, threes, fours. Yeah. Two, threes, fours. Five, six, seven. How do I deal with my anxiety? Got it. And then the eight, nine, one, the gut or the instinctual triad is how will I deal with my environment? Okay. Got it. So we'll flesh that out when we come around. And so we've talked about the one, the reformer, the older child, yeah. the person that fairness is yeah. typically a big deal for a one. Yeah. Um, and they see what could happen, but then they huh. take on the weight of the world and they, and they, and they feel that twos are the helpers. They can be sometimes when they devolve, they can be passive aggressive because they're keeping score. Uh, what about threes, Steph? Uh, threes I uh, are almost always called the achiever. I don't think I've ever seen yeah. a three called something other than achiever also. But threes have this ability to um, see where things could go and how to get there and rally people according to that. And so they're really, the world would not run well without threes. It's a very needed sort of ability to, especially that kind of communal aspect of getting things done, not just the individual aspect of getting things done. Um, but then that becomes an issue where that sort of desire for productivity and efficiency and achieving becomes the sense that that's where my worth comes from. Um, and then when I'm getting all this stuff done, that's what's making me valuable. Um, and also the sense that um, because they're so good with people, I mean, threes are almost always liked wherever they go. And they kind of have that ability to be successful in whatever situation they're in, that there becomes this element of deceiving that's a part of deceiving themselves and others so that they're always successful where are they, wherever they are. And so the work of a three is to get back in touch with authenticity and vulnerability. Yeah. And I'm a three. Yeah. And I remember when I knew I was a three when, is, is when someone said threes wake up with a blank slate, but not in the good way. Threes wake up thinking that they have accomplished nothing in their lives and they have yeah. to start all over that day <laughs> at succeeding. And I just went, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm yes. a three. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. That's a great description. Alexander Hamilton, never satisfied. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like that's yeah, the quintessential yeah. three, right? Like I hear that music and I'm like, oh, that's me. I'm never satisfied. Like if I ran a marathon, I didn't run it fast enough. Yep. You know, like there's always just that. And if I ran one, that was yesterday. What am I going to do today? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So. So you guys are both threes? Yeah. But I want you to talk about a four because I think both of us, Steve and I, are both strong four wings. Yeah. Big time. Um, Okay, well, I was going to ask how it felt for me to talk about type three. Oh, you're right on the moment. No, I'd rather you talk about our type than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, type fours um, is sometimes called the individualist, sometimes called the creative. What else have you seen it called, Charles? This one changes some depending on the author. It does. I was just kind of flipping through some notes to try to see the other titles. I use individualist. Um, so I think of type fours as people who are born naturally in touch with beauty and individuality in themselves and in the world. And so there's somebody who can really absorb a moment and see the potential of that moment. 
And part of that is that they're very in touch with their feelings and they feel things very deeply. Um, and I kind of, if you guys can picture, I don't know what, what is this kind of thing called? If I always do this with my hand and I'm sine on waves. sine waves. Ah. <laughs> so yeah. most of the world experiences sine waves, maybe, you know, that are just short, but fours experience all just up, really all the way, all the way up, all yeah, the way down. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. they feel that's how they experience life is, is all through their feelings. And so the problem is then that they can be over in touch with their own feelings and feel like nobody actually understands how I feel because I feel things so deeply or get overwhelmed by their feelings and end up feeling like they have to take a lot of naps because they're just it's just so much to take in and so there's a lot of work to do in how they hold their feelings but also a lot of potential in how they can help others feel um this is where the artistic temperament comes from because there's this um, feeling beyond what can be put into words easily and so there's music and there's art that comes from this as people are expressing individuality beauty and feeling at the same time and um, so there's a lot of potential for what that can bring if sort of that over in touchness with the emotions can also yeah. be balanced. And what does it look like when a four starts to devolve? Um, so the devolving is that sort of um, often becomes overly melancholy, like more in touch with the low feelings yeah. than the high feelings and just overly feeling that sort of tragic sense and and then combined with the individual like that sense that nobody really knows me nobody understands me and that's sort of um i've heard it described as constantly in touch with, with what's missing instead yeah. of what is yes yeah anything you would you would add charles now i mean great job stuff I, I, yeah no i heard a four describe what you said as like he, he was saying he's an artist and he was saying um i can surf melancholy really well the danger is always diving into depression. Mm. So he's like, if you predict, if you picture like um, depression as a river, he's like, I'm at my best artistically when I'm surfing on top of that. Mm. I get in a dangerous spot when I dive into it. Yeah. So you're you know, touching it. Way yeah. In yeah. touch so, with it, but yeah. you're not going all the way down and drowning. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, do you remember in uh, falling upward by Richard Rohr, he talks about the tragic sense of life. Yes. Force can do that really well. They can hold that that space of the tragedy and the beauty of life together at the same time. They have no problems doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So, uh, let's go to the five. Can I say one other thing about yeah. the fours that I think yeah. is really beautiful, and I heard somebody else, another teacher say this, is that fours, unlike I think every other number on the Enneagram, desire to be known. Mm, yeah. They want us to know who they are. So they write music, they write blogs, they they come at us and like open up like here's who I am. And that's how they're still wrestling with the will you like me is they're putting themselves out for all of us to see and asking, will you like me if I tell you who I am exactly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yep, that's a good addition. Um, okay, five. So five, we cross over the line from the heart triad to the thinking triad. And we get to the question of how do I deal with an my anxiety? So fives perceive the world to be a scary place, like everybody in the triad, uh, perceive that there's things out there that are scary to me. And so what fives do is they answer that question, how do I deal with anxiety, by I should study more. Ah. And so they go very inward, probably the most blatantly introverted type on the Enneagram. Uh, they are going on the journey of, I got to figure out more. And, and their temptation is to believe that they're never enough. They never have enough information to join the conversation. They always need, if I could just study a little bit more, get a little bit more prepared, a little bit more then then I'll engage. And in their, in their unhealth, they, they don't engage because of that, because they're fearful. They refuse to engage And when they're healthy. 
I, I have one of my best friends. She's a five and she's the best. I mean, she knows so she's so like she knows so much. And when she doesn't know something, she dives deep fast and learns it. Mm-hmm. You know, so she's the one who introduced me to Hamilton and she knew every lyric and every reference. And like she just dug in deep because that's what she does. You know, um, I've said before, Google, um, Google is the best friend of the five. Ah. Like, because they, it's always there. They can answer their questions. There's a deep discomfort in not knowing something if you're yes. five. And is yes. there a sense of like, okay, so if, like we're a three, we'll go, oh, have an idea. Hey, I want to start a church. All right, let's do it tomorrow. You know, a five is like, okay, uh, I should get my seminary degree, but I'm going to spend six months trying to figure out what seminary to go to. And yeah. then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get one degree more than I ought to, right? I mean, is that, that's more of the five? I've heard, Be prepared. I mean, uh, one way to understand Enneagram as a whole is how we carry our energy. Yeah. And whether we're yeah. moving towards yeah. something, away from something, yeah. or against something. Ooh, so, so, so towards, towards, away, or against. And, w- w- and which triad is connected to which? It's not triad. That's oh, individual number. Each triad, triad has all three. Got it. Um, and it, so that's a part of how they're holding their number. So a, th- a three is somebody who moves... Um, now I'm. Is it towards or against? Against, because two is two is towards, three is against, four is away. Okay. Five is also away. So there's a tendency towards disengagement, or mm. like it takes longer to move that energy into a situation. So there's going to be a tendency to like learn and learn and learn and learn, observe, 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 and it takes a yeah. greater push to get that energy out. Got it. Um, compared to, or like in a meeting situation, I would think of in the ready, aim, fire, we haven't gotten to all the numbers yet. I would think of a three as a ready, aim, fire. Yep. I would think of an eight as a ready, fire, aim when we get to eight. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And a five is ready, 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 aim, aim, (laughs) ready. (laughs) It's going to take a long time to feel like the fire, it's time for fire. Not ready. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's really good. And I am just, yep. Yep, just internally thinking about fives. You're not supposed to play that game, but you're thinking about what what people are fives. I, you know, if you've done small threes. groups at church, I feel yep. like fives are usually the people in some sort of small group scenario who are just sitting and watching yep. and listening. Yep. And then, like towards the end of the conversation, they say something, and the whole room looks at them like, "Well, we just blew smoke for an hour and a half." Yeah, like, like where why? have you been? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Some people call them the observers because yeah. that's they they'll often sit back and observe, observe, observe. And, and what you just said, except that often you have to invite them into the conversation. Right. Hey, you haven't said anything all night. And then they do, and you're like, Pfft. Yeah. Well, that was the most brilliant thing ever right. said. Right. Truth bomb. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Great. Let's, Steph, let's do six. Six is, I think, the most difficult to describe because there's a few different types of sixes. So um, I, I like the name loyal skeptic for a six. So a six is somebody who understands the uh, systems and how systems work. Um, and that can be people systems, it can be business systems, but there's a way of like seeing the connections of things that way, which also means they can really quickly see what's missing, which is where the fear comes from. They can walk into a room and see what's dangerous about the room. They can be in a brainstorming meeting and play the devil's advocate in five seconds or less because they can see it. So the question is, what are they going to do with what they see and the fact that they can see what's missing? And so there's often some sort of fear response, and it can lead to a couple different types of sixes. Um, So one thing it leads to is the loyal part, which is that sixes tend to be very committed to whoever their people are, because that's part of what makes things work. It's a part of what makes things feel safe is me and my people are important. And these are so these are your friends who are really great at keeping in touch with you, um, because that's a part of that working. 
Um, but the fear thing, because they can see what can be wrong with authority so quickly, they tend to either be a rule follower because that's what makes things work, or um, to be an anarchist because who cares anyway? <laughs> or right. they tend to be, if somebody is, um, same thing with the fear, if somebody is afraid, if they can see all the ways that an airplane could crash, either they're someone who's going to drive everywhere and avoid airplanes, or they're gonna skydive to be like, yeah, right. okay. <laughs> and you know, give uh, show that fear who's in charge. And so, and a lot yeah. of sixes, I think, actually hold a little bit of both of those, depending on the scenario. And some people are very much one or the other, but it means that sixes can be really hard to type because somebody who's always going the anti-authoritarian, anti-rule, I'm stronger than my fear, looks really different than someone who's rule-following or timid or some of the words you might use right. to describe someone who's more phobic. And so the work is, is understanding that for both people, what's really at the root is that seeing what's wrong in the system and having some sort of anxiety about it and trying to fix it, either by conquering it or by avoiding it. Right. I have a friend who's six, and we just moved into a, house, a new house that I loved. And we went out on our back deck, and we're about a mile and a half from the freeway. I mean, like, so, I mean, I, I didn't even think about it. When we walked out on the deck, the first thing he said was, huh, you can't even hardly hear the freeway. Mm. I had I hadn't heard the freeway at all. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? But like he's gonna notice right. what's yeah. wrong. He's gonna notice the crack in the plaster. He's gonna and, right. you know, so yeah. and right. I, I think where the gift is in that is like you want people like that around to help make things better. Right. Because uh, yes. they're loyal and they'll stick around and do it. Where it might drive you crazy is like, oh my gosh, do you notice anything else other than the crack in the plaster, <laughs> right. please? Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the other thing, and when you were mentioning the head triad um, being yeah. related to anxiety, I, I find that not all everybody in the head triad would feel comfortable with the word anxiety or mm-hmm. the word fear, especially right. a six who's I, going the anti-fear right. route would have right. a really hard time identifying as a yes. six because their whole life is spent actually trying to pretend they're not afraid of anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and because everybody in that triad is trying to manage anxiety in some ways, there's many people who might be in denial of the fact that that's even there as a driving yeah. force. Yeah, because fear is like this um, bad word. It means I'm weak. It means right. I'm, yeah. I, I, I heard Richard Rohr say one time, many sixes are drummers mm. because that's they need something to do with their anxiety. So they pound mm. on drums. I know two sixes who are drummers. Yeah. Yeah. And really? then I started thinking uh-huh. like, yep, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's funny. Yeah. yeah. Let's, all right, Charles, let's uh, go to the seven. One quick thing I'll say is uh, Suzanne Stabile, which we'll talk about her book later at the end when we do recommendations. But she says that uh, six is the most prevalent number. Yeah, that as I've heard that. in her experience, more people are sixes, and some of that's very primal. You know, like our ancestors didn't get eaten by dinosaurs because they were afraid. Yeah, right. You know, and right. so like there's something very primal to that, but that lots and lots of people are sixes. And when you think that, and then you think about our political climate that plays to fear, you think about advertising that plays to fear, you think about the morning news. You know, how your refrigerator will kill you. Come back in 20 minutes. Right. If you think through those things, like. <laughs> Our culture plays to fear all the time. And if and if that's true, that m- more people are sixes than any other number, well, of course, that's why they play to fear. And there it's tends to be, sixes tend to find comfort in dogmatic thinking and black and white oh. rules because that sure. makes sense. And so. Right, right. But I also find that people don't <laughs> want to be sixes. Yeah. It's a, it, like it but, takes a while to help people yeah. feel comfortable with themselves if that's their number, I think, even yeah. more so than the others. And to say there's a lot of value that sixes bring to the world because I think there's something oh. that 
where we don't see the value in that or people don't yeah. see the value in that. We ha- like there's a lot of good in sixes. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad well, you said that because even when I have thought about the Enneagram over the years, and I can I can really describe the other ones pretty well. But when it, when I get to six, I kind of go, um, I don't know, sixers like fear, I think is their thing or whatever. Um, but so many people, up to fifty percent of the population, I've heard maybe that's Suzanne's thing. Yeah. If are if that many are sixes, then the 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 fierce loyalty the ability to see systems the right i mean this is all stuff yeah. that like in terms of businesses and organizations you better have some sixes mm-hmm. to to help yeah. you keep moving i've heard sixes make great middle managers and organizations because mm. they understand how to play that really well they understand both the importance of pleasing a boss and of leading others got it and some people are have a hard time playing both roles and sixes actually can yeah. because they can see the system they're really good in the middle of an organizational structure which yeah. that's like most of jobs yeah. yeah all right so we're still yeah, in the I, head triad uh which the, the can i say game... one more thing about sixes can i finish that thought <laughs> please do because you said something about good about them as a hard charging six married or as a hard charging three married to a six I need that. I yeah. need that. Slow down. Think about the consequences. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a really like I see the value, like so much so in 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 the six and the play between the two of us about her releasing her fears and letting me go and me slowing down and like it's a really good. I think my marriage is a really good combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even so, um, the one thing that's unique about the threes, the sixes, and the nines, right, is if you picture them like a triangle, which they really are on the yeah. actual Enneagram, yeah. um, all three of those numbers will have to visit the other numbers. Like, mm-hmm. So I'm a three, and Charles, yeah. Charles, you are two. And what I've heard is that the three has to go to the six from time to time yeah. to realize I can't read all of my press. Like, I'm not that impressive, actually. Like, I a little, a little self-doubt and a little... Not necessarily fear, but a little grounding is a good yep. thing for a three. Yes. And then absolutely. when we go to nine, um, which we'll get to, uh, that's when you, a three who's always going, always achieving, needs to learn the balance of backing off and slowing down and bringing harmony instead of yeah. always achieving. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, let's go to the seven. Sevens, is that me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the sevens, uh, Sometimes we call them the joyful person. I like the enthusiast. They are, I, I mean, when you think around the Enneagram, like when you do Enneagram training, and I don't know if this was true for you, but I feel like the times I've been in big rooms with people training on the Enneagram, the sevens all find each other at a table somewhere in the middle, and it is a raucous party at their table. It's <laughs> joyful. It's fun. They're charming. They're super attractive people. They're people you want to be with because they're where the party is. Um. And so part of that is, again, in this response to anxiety, and I think they also struggle with that word because they would say, I don't have any anxieties because intuitively they have something in them that says when anxiety comes, I'm going to do something to suppress that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so a seven will plan parties, but the unhealthy side of the seven is when they're doing that to repress pain. So something's causing me anxiety, I must shop. If something's causing me anxiety, I must plan a vacation, I must plan a party. Um, when something comes up relationally, I must fix it as fast as possible so I don't have to feel that anxiety. And so in their neurotic states, uh, you hear in, I've, I've heard sevens talk about in their neurotic states, they have a hard time focusing. They move on to the next thing all the time. They kind of lose focus in life because they're always 
busy, busy, busy trying to keep anxiety at bay. Whereas remember we said fours kind of can bathe in anxiety. Yeah. Sevens is just the exact opposite. They want nothing to do with it. And so part of the struggle for sevens, and I'd be interested to hear uh, your journey, Steph, is um, sevens are one of the types that have a hard time finding themselves um, be- because it requires sitting with shadow. Mm-hmm. And so there's a challenge inherent to sevens kind of coming home. And I can, I can think of several sevens that I know who, you know, on first encounter with the Enneagram say things like, you can't put me in a box. I don't, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be labeled. And I'm, I'm finding out first, like one person says that, but I've heard that from several different people. Like I, because it, it does involve some level of like, you're going to have to sit with your shadow and that's not their forte. That's not what they desire intuitively. You know, I think for me, and this is why I like never, I just started thinking of myself as a seven in the last month. So we'll pause there to say it can take layers of the onion. (laughs) I've been helping other people like in depth doing, like I got certified in the Enneagram. I coach people one-on-one. I've been doing that for a year and a half. And just in the last month, I was like, oh my gosh, of course I see it. But it's because actually just to push on your description a little bit, sevens are always described as the life of the party. And I don't think of myself as fun. And so I never even oh. thought that was me until I thought of it as energy and multitasking because I always have 800 things going on. Yeah. You were talking to me in the church, like you, you said something to me just in passing, like, oh yeah, you're a pretty high capacity person, aren't you? And that was one of the things where I was like, yeah, I am. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. overly high capacity. Like I, w- <laughs> my husband and I did a house project at the same time that I was finishing seminary at the same time as I was working full time, like years ago. And that's like how I run. And yeah. there's, it's a little different than achiever because what it is, is it's still being the pain avoidant. It's staying, it's doing so right. many different things that you don't have to fully commit to one in case it doesn't go well. And so there's sort of a protection of pain there. Right. And also in like doing so many things that you don't have to deal with your inner world because you can just stay busy. So there's some similarities to a three, but it's coming from a little different place of oh. energy and, um, and I wouldn't have thought of it as pain avoidance, but it is, it's sort of this optimism where I really quickly right. spin things. Uh-huh. I really yeah. quickly spin things. And like someone had a hard conversation with me a couple of years ago. And once I realized I was a seven, I was like, oh my gosh, I did that. So they sat me down for like a hard, hard, you know, truth and love sort yeah. of face to face conversation. And my instant response was, way to go for having this conversation with me. Like, it's so hard to sit down across from someone and do that. <laughs> so you, yeah. like, went automatically to affirm that. Automatically to so affirm great. the other person, which is was really, like, if you think about it, that's totally pain avoidant. It was like, yeah. let me just scoot yeah. right past. So it's really like an avoidance of process. Yeah, It's trying yeah. to jump from pain to resolution without the walk. Oh, uh, Say that again, because that was so good. Uh, it's trying That's to jump really from good. pain to resolution without the walk. And is that why I've heard like one of the chief, if you want to call it sins of sevens, is indulgence? It's mm-hmm. it's gluttony. 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 Yeah. So yeah. I am always late, and I was trying to figure out why I'm always late. It's because I am trying to suck the marrow out of every moment. Yeah. And so I, if I've got five minutes, I might be able to get something done in that five minutes. I might be able to, there, whatever, like, but just to sit in a car to just like, yeah. and so I'm always late because I'm, or like, um, and what part of the reason I thought I was a two was because I love intense one-on-one conversations, Yeah. but it's because of the intensity. Right. It's because I want every moment to be like really right. rich. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. That's what it is, which is and it's the gluttony. So it's not just gluttony with food or things. It's right. gluttony with people. It's gluttony with experiences. So let me ask you this, though, yep. Steph, because, I mean, I think some people would say, well, gosh, that's like Ram Das. I mean, that's living in the moment. That's that's perfect. Like, why would you even say that there's anything wrong with that? Um, you know, sucking the marrow out of the moment. That's carpe diem. Right. That's so. What do you see as the as the shadow of that? Um. So it's so one of the things I read recently was that sevens tend to both desire close friendship and not have very many close friends because they expect so much out of their each friendship. Oh. And so there's this sort of mm. then like no one can ever meet your expectations in certain ways. Even though you're an optimist, you're sort of holding this like optimism at the same time as sort of constant disappointment. <laughs> yeah. In that, mm. in that sort of because you're just wanting everything. And life isn't that way. Life isn't always a high. Sometimes life is a low. And so like I really need fours in my life connecting me to that yes. experience of life as well and the value of process because you can't right. jump i mean to use the um language of you know rabbi allen or those sorts of scripture studies you can't you don't go from slavery to the promised land you go from slavery to the wilderness to right. the promised land you cannot oh. that journey yep mm. or you won't or or the promised land just becomes a new egypt Ooh, baby oh i need to write all that down write all that down i'll listen write to it later down. i'll come back and listen to the podcast and write all that down. okay so That's let's good. um as predicted we are just having such a great time and time is just clicking by so let's try to get through we still have to get through eight, eight and, and nine. nine and then there's okay. another question that i want to get to uh and then we're going to do uh part two is going to be next week gang so um so uh whose turn is it to do eight is I think it technically it's mine but i just talked for a while i think it's yours but, no, I liked what you were saying. Yeah, All right, so, so eight is um, eight is the challenger. Sometimes it's called. This is one of those words that can have baggage with it. So it's the challenger. It's the boss, but it's the somebody leader. the leader, yeah. somebody who has a yeah. deep understanding of power and strength and a sense of their own strength and where power rests in a room. So this person is usually either in charge or friends with the person in charge, um, who also has a deep desire and sense for justice. Tends to root for the underdog, um, and. In that, though, the devolving can be ending up a desire for vengeance instead of a desire for justice in that sense of fairness and right and wrong. And also that um, learning about how their power and strength can be used for others instead of for themselves. And so um, actually to break the rule that we talked about earlier of typing people, some people would assume Mother Teresa is a type two, but I actually would think she's a type eight. I've heard, I've heard, she, yeah. Because she's an eight. not many people would think, huh, there's a problem in another country and there's an entire disenfranchised yeah. group of people. I, me, alone, little old woman, <laughs> I'm going to move there right. and I'm going right. to set up a whole system to care for a disenfranchised population. <laughs> so yeah. because there's a lot of strength and confidence there and then it's using that strength and confidence for the sake of others and for the sake of the world. And so depending on where a right. eight has moved in their journey of health, eights might be the like jerk boss. <laughs> that just runs you over. That Totally right. just for their way. But it can also be the Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa's of the world who are like understanding how right. they can make a difference and they're choosing to try. They use yeah. their strength to uh, move toward justice. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so in, uh, we didn't say this, but we have moved into the gut triad. So the 891 is gut. And the game that they're playing, Charles, according to you, is... The way I like to say it is how do I deal with my environment? So eights dominate it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, right. like they, are, they are going to control their environment. They don't like to be controlled. 
and they and they don't always have to be the leader, but they sure don't like following, you know. And so if you're going to lead an eight, you better be a strong leader because they're going to push you. Um, and so they're going to create their environment. They're, and it and then when that's for the service of people, like Mother Teresa, that's beautiful and it's good. And you want those people, you want those people as CEOs and, and strong leaders. When they when they turn is when they're you know evil dictators that you don't want to work for. Right. Because that can become evil. Right. And yeah. they have such strengths. One of the things that's said to eight sometimes is like, be careful that when you speak, you think you're you're coming with a feather and the rest of us feel it like a hammer. Right. Like they right. don't often, an unhealthy eight doesn't even recognize sometimes the power and the strength that they have. And but when they become that and channel it, it's beautiful. Yes. And isn't it also true, like if you're dealing with an eight and you're, you have a half an hour of conflict with that person, and the other person may think like this was the, I mean, now our relationship is ruined. It's over. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. But the eight is thinking that was awesome. Like awesome. I loved that, <laughs> that the yeah. energy of that. Like I'm closer to you yeah. now. I my, yeah. I feel better about life now because we've had that conflict yeah. and right. I mean, that's the eight. Yeah, they that's have the an eight energy for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I have yeah. an eight friend who was on She said to me like, I want you to challenge me more. And I just laughed like, yeah, yeah. it's not my thing. Find not another that. eight. Yeah. Uh -huh. Find another eight to fight with. You right. know, I don't, yeah, I don't need to do that. You know, it's interesting. I've had, um, cause I, I tend to be conflict avoidant, uh, until I really need to, and then I can press in, but I don't like it. I don't get any energy right. from conflict. Um, I, it, it takes me a long time to recover from it. But over the years, I've noticed that I, I tend to, be I, I tend to pick friends that are eights mm. and i just wonder what that is um so um anyway but let's move on <laughs> so i don't want to i don't want to dive into that too much because i don't want to know what you guys think about that <laughs> uh oh it makes sense to me but we can move on yeah yeah let's go well let's why does it make sense to you because you're a three two because you talked about that moving against people or right. what sometimes people call aggressive types. Yeah. So threes, sevens, and eights are all fairly moving against, aggressive. We have big energies. And I'm attracted to people with big energies. I find myself very attracted to sevens and eights. Yeah. Because yeah. they're also getting stuff done in the world. And I admire that. Yes. You know, like there's – as my threeness who likes to get stuff done looks at the – the eights getting stuff done and I know they're the vehicle for getting it done. Yeah. You know, so where I can team up with them, I love that. Yeah. I've heard it described for if, as people are thinking about whether they're a three or an eight, that if you, if you're, if there's a boulder that needs to get to the top of the hill, the two best people to do that are threes or eights. A three is going to make a plan, rally a team and build a lever and get it up that hill by the end of the week. An eight is going to run through town yelling until he has a hundred people to get that sucker up the hill by the end of the day. Yeah. Mm. That there's that sort of like, yeah. but both are going to be the ones who can do it, who can do it pretty quickly, yeah. but there's just a force that's a yeah. part of the eight. That's a little different. Yep. Yep. I like well, that. And I think a healthy eight does that for other people and versus us, us threes kind of do it when we want the spotlight. We want yes. to make sure that when that boulders up the hill, shine the spotlight down on me <laughs> and eights don't always have that same energy. No. Like yeah. they, they can totally put that in service of other people and they're fine. Yep. Yep. I actually well. went through a life coaching thing one time and they said, one of the first things they said, and they go, don't take this the wrong way. This is just who you are. You need to be on a stage. Mm. You, yep. you, you need it. Doesn't mean that's your whole life, but like come to like, cause it was a life coaching thing about career. And they said, do not pick a job where you are not on the stage. Hmm. You need to that's be. Wise. And, yeah. but I remember thinking like, I, that's so selfish or sort of vanity that can't be good. And they really right. said, 
of course it can lead to not being good but it's it's neutral on its own mm-hmm. it's neutral on, on and so i think oh, threes good and eights really um and and sevens so if you're a three and eight and a seven you need to know that you're gonna be you are gonna need that sense of it that you're the center of attention sometimes and threes mostly um but sevens too seven so all right let's uh let's move to nine and that also is in yeah is in the gut space so the nines again that response to what do i do with an environment they uh they ignore their environment so we call them there's a bunch of different titles for nines the most common one is peacemaker um i also like mediator or accommodator um they uh so that question they they avoid things they sit at the very top of the enneagram if you think of the circle they're the number right on the very top and they're looking down at every number and they can see every number's perspective. A nine, like I think of nines as the people that you find easiest to talk to. So our associate pastor here at the church is a nine. There is nothing threatening about him. Everybody loves to talk to him. He's safe. He listens. Um, people love that about nines. Like they're, they're super, they're super lovable. He hugs everybody he meets. Uh, but just because they're super lovable in that way. They're yeah. super open, open to people, open to their ideas. They make space for people, want to always make sure that everybody's voice has been heard. Everybody's been a part of this process. Um, that's that's all the goodness of the nine. The darkness of that is they uh, are doing that sometimes to avoid dealing with their environment. They're doing it as avoidance. By getting involved in everybody else's stuff, they don't have to to engage in it. And so I've heard people say that nines often have two defenses that they maintain, one is to keep peace, like to keep the outside world from getting in. Like they want their serenity, the soft, the soft lit office with candles and soft music going and that smelly candle stuff that people, the steamy, the, <laughs> not incense. Essential oils. Essential oils, like all that stuff. Like there's just a serenity about a nine and they're trying to keep their world peaceful. But there's also an inner defense that they have that they're trying to keep their inner thoughts peaceful as well. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to protect themselves from themselves. Whereas, again, to go back to referencing the fours who are always kind of churning on things, the nines don't want to churn on things. And so um, in, in their unhealthier parts, and I keep using that phrase healthy to unhealthy, but I, I find that useful mm-hmm. in their unhealthy spaces. Um, they can be pretty checked out and they can check out of life and, and like the fives don't come into a meeting and sometimes won't offer what they think. Um, because they don't always know because they're, they haven't given themselves time and space to really even sit with that. Yeah. Okay. So, and then just to, the one is also in, which we already did, but just a review of the one, the ones also in the gut space, the ones the reformer, the can be a perfectionist, uh, sees what's yeah. wrong with the world, wants to change it. But then, then as you said, stuff tends to carry that weight on their shoulders as if it's only up up, yeah. up to them. One, one of the things I was, I've, I've also heard to describe people that are their eight, nines, ones, people in the gut space is that they experience life as a body blow. Like everything yes. comes at them in a big, big way. There's hardly any neutral. Yeah, well, I think there's a physical reaction. So I would say, I mean, one yes. of the ways of understanding the triads is also where you're processing what's happening to right. you. And so the heart is yep. processing through emotion and relationships. The head is processing yep. through thinking and analyzing and um, even some of the, um, like, ideating. Yeah. <laughs> and then the the guts processing it in their body often. And they often have some yes. sort of deep relationship with nature. But it's not always a conscious thing in the body. It can, yeah. it's, right. can just be a part of the... 
intuitive. Yeah, you physically are reacting to things. Yeah, so I mean, as people are listening to this, I think the natural thing to try to do is, you know, what am I? And I think we need to say right away, it takes a long time. Uh, but I would also say, I think it's, if you want to try to get close, think triad first. And you can narrow it down to at least three, yeah. right? So I think, again, you're you're either going to be in the heart triad where you're asking the question, do people like me? You're processing things you're, through your feelings much, much more than rational thinking. Five, six, sevens are in the head space. They're, they're asking the question, how do I deal with my environment, right? They are... Um, anxiety. How anxiety or fear. Anxiety. Five, six, seven. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Then, what word would you use there, Steph, if not anxiety or fear? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't have a better. Tension? I don't have a better one. I think it's true. I think it's just whether whether it's um, right. Right. So, like for me, I realized several years ago that I I didn't realize I had struggles with fear because I never actually felt the fear because I was so good at avoiding it. Right. So it was like if I am like planning everything out so that I never have to feel it, then I don't realize that it's driving me. And so it's just a, it can just take a while to acknowledge it and be a part of it. But I've heard maybe one way to think about it would be I've heard orientations also where it's the gut tends to deal with anger. The heart tends to yep. deal with shame and the head tends to deal with anxiety. Yes. And also in yep. that, the heart tends to be oriented towards the past and judging the past. Mm. Yep. The head tends to be oriented towards the future and thinking about the future, and the gut is tends to be oriented towards the present moment. Okay. And so that yep. can be a way of kind of naming right. too, like when you're in just in, yep. when you're driving in your car, yep. where are your thoughts headed? Okay. Well, it sounds like you listened to my sermon last Sunday because I just did that. <laughs> I just, and I barely referenced Enneagram, but I talked about that orientation towards past, pre, past, future, present. And huh. that, I mean, it really does fit pretty well. Did you bring up Hamilton, Charles, in your sermon last, <laughs> I did. last week? I did. Yeah. I, yeah. I get a line in most weeks now yeah. since July. Yeah. I usually get at least one little Hamilton line in somehow. I'm a big I'm Hamilton so fan. Right we could now. totally derail on that. As a yeah. Which, well, I was yeah. listening to this tape before you all got Were you? Skype. Oh, oh it's, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. So what, what we're going to do now is we're going to pause and we're going to come back uh, next week. And next week, we're going to look at the idea. We're going to look at triads a little more. We're going to look at the idea of wings because uh, there's this theory in the Enneagram that if you're a three, for example, then you, you are going to, you're going to have two wings, the four and the two, the, the next door neighbor. And that's going to like, if you're a three wing four or a three wing two, that's going to um, help you understand yourself even more. And there's so many layers to this that we won't even get it. There's subtypes, there's all that kind of stuff. Um, but I want to talk next week also about how has this helped your spiritual transformation I want to talk about how it's helped you uh, develop empathy for yourself and for people and how you think it helps people understand people and and we'll go there. And so, um, but before we end, uh, because if people are super interested in this and everybody it feels like is talking about the Enneagram these days, what are a couple of resources, and I'll put this on the show notes, but what are a couple of resources that you would recommend? for people that want to read more about the Enneagram or listen to more about the Enneagram? One thing I would say off the bat, so part of why I do coaching is it 
I think it could be great to seek out a person who knows Enneagram. There's a strong oral yeah. tradition in Enneagram, and it can feel very isolating to read about it because it's naming all these shadow right. sides. You can read something and be like, oh, great. Yep. Now I feel super crummy about myself. To do something with another person, whether it's some sort of coaching or just explore Enneagram with a friend so there's a conversational element, I think helps with things. Um, I love the Enneagram Institute for their daily emails. Yep. Um, I think that if you sign up for a daily email mm-hmm. for a type, it's just this moment of awareness. And so much of the work of Enneagram is building awareness. And so just doing that, I think, is huge. And they also have some good descriptions of the different types. So that could be a good landing page for a few reasons. Um, for books, there, it depends what you're looking for in a book. Right. Um, for, right. Because they're really, they take it from different angles. So... Um, I like The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Riso and Hudson. Um, I think they have a lot of activities in there that people can do um, to move towards health. And I really like the way that they describe wings in that book. Um, So that's one of the books that I do tend to recommend if I'm going to pick one. A small, yeah, the smaller version of that one is the. um, Is that the little yellow book? The yellow book is called Personality Types by Riso Hudson. Okay. And it's similar to the wisdom, except the wisdom one is fat. Mm-hmm. It's a big old book. But the personality types one I like because I like that it does the um, – it gives you the range of this is the healthy expression of the type to the meet, to the average to the unhealthy. And that was really good for me to understand two people can be the same types and a healthy person in that type looks very different than the unhealthy person of that mm-hmm. type. Yeah. Um, and they did that in the wisdom of the Enneagram too, didn't they? Yeah, did they, they did. Did they explore mm-hmm. that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything the, else you let guys? Me say, yeah, in the Christian space. So I feel like most of the books, I have a big pile on my desk over there, and I most of my books are not uh, religious in, in orientation. Uh, but if you want something that comes from a more uh, specifically Christian background, uh, the new book, The Road Back to You by Ian Crone and uh, Suzanne Stabile, I think is, for people in my church, it's a great entry level. I just tell them it's it's funny. It's really graceful. I think they present the numbers and the shadows in really graceful, kind, very kind ways of presenting. And so um, I've really come to recommend that. And I just found out they have a study guide that I just ordered and haven't even spent time in. Hmm. But that's the one that we're starting in our church. That's going to be the the first introduction to it. Uh, I would agree with that. I've, I've read parts of that. And they also have a podcast called The Road Back to You. Yes. Which, uh, so they interview people, they mm. interview like type fours and type fives is, and type sixes. And, yeah. and at this point, it's like they interviewed Sean and Equist as a seven. Um, who else? I mean, just really kind of fun people that you've heard of. Darren Whitehead is a three. Yeah. That, that one was really, really good. Um, okay. Yeah. So let's, let's pause there. We're going to put a comma on this conversation. We're going to come back next week and we're going to talk more about the Enneagram for all of these uh, resources that we've just mentioned, I'll put it on the show notes. So for those of you that are really interested, I would say click on one of those resources, pick it up, and then um, we'll jump in next week. Okay, so thank you, Charles. Thank you, Steph. And uh, can't wait to have you back next week. <laughs>